This is Web Suasion Conversation, episode 30. Welcome to the show. I am Ryan Williams, president of the Persuasion Group and Kapoka Studios here at Pinewood Atlanta Studios in Fayetteville, Georgia. I hope everybody had a great holiday and a happy new year, and you're looking forward to a productive 2020. Today on the show, we have Kevin Salvadori of Scarlet Oak Financial Services. Kevin was a professional basketball player with the Sacramento Kings, who transitioned into pharmaceutical sales for many years before entering the world of finance. He is now an independent wealth manager who coaches clients through their financial life. His personal history allows him to be an empathetic and unbiased mentor to his clients while still pushing them to be prepared and not sit on the sidelines of their finances. One of the things we'll talk with Kevin about today is how he utilizes social media and his website content to illustrate his dedication and track record to his prospects. One of the things we do here at Kapoka Studios and Web Suasion is design weekly content, be that podcasts like this one, or video series or articles that keep our clients top of mind. We also go a step further by uncovering search keyword opportunities for our clients. Most marketers treat search engine optimization, otherwise known as SEO, as an afterthought, or they conflate it with purchasing ads. Instead, we look to build a foundation of evergreen content for our clients that over time will not only reinforce their own business development activity, but will generate a steady stream of leads. If you are an executive or business owner with a lot of knowledge in your industry and you want to turn that into an organic content platform, give me a call. Ryan Williams at the Web Suasion Group and Kapoka Studios, 404-418-8909, extension 10, or email me at ryan at websuasion.com. That's R-Y-A-N at W-E-B-S-U-A-S-I-O-N dot C-O-M. Now let's talk to Kevin Salvadori. Kevin, thanks for being on the show. Thank you for having me. So tell me about your background. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Pittsburgh, born in Wheeling, West Virginia. So people always find that pretty interesting that I was born in Wheeling, but I grew up in Pittsburgh. And Is, and, is that on the north side of West Virginia? Or? Uh, yeah, it's only about 45 minutes from, from Pittsburgh itself. And oh, okay. So okay. it wasn't that far. I got that little part that sticks up that goes up along Pennsylvania a little bit. So Right. Yeah. So Country you, boy. And then, uh, so you went to school... In North Carolina. I went to University of North Carolina Chapel Hill. I went there on a basketball scholarship. Yeah. So So we'll obviously get into the basketball (laughs) a good bit here, but tell me about that. You did a BA in psychology? I did. I did a BA in psychology. Um, I originally went to become uh, a biology major. Um, Oh, okay. Loved the natural sciences, but when I sat at North Carolina, they were all huge classes, overhead lights turned off, projector. Boring. 500 students, and I'm just, I'm <laughs> heads nodding, and yeah. I'm just like, I can't do this. I love the labs because it was like 10 people, right. but you put me in the, that big of a, a group, I just kind of get lost. Gotcha. So, so why psychology? Took it for a, a prereq and really kind of just enjoyed it. Some of the, I mean, some of the stuff in psychology classes you learn are off the wall, a little bizarre. Right. Some of them really make you go, okay, that makes sense. And I don't know how much it speaks to me, but I like developmental. 
and I like abnormal. Those are my two favorites. So okay, maybe okay. maybe that's kind of talking about who I am. Who knows? How does that factor into your sales experience then? I do. <laughs> just psychology. Just psychology in general is just good because it just helps you read people, kind of yeah. read the situation, kind of go forward from there, and. Um, I used to get uh, yelled at by my ex-wife a lot because of that, because I could just kind of- Because <laughs> you're get, reading people. I, I could get into that situation. We might get in an argument. I get in a situation. I may try to use a couple of tactics that might not, might not have, should not have done. So Gotcha, gotcha. So pro basketball. Mm-hmm. I mean, well, you did you did uh, national championships at North Carolina, right? Uh, two Final Fours. We won a national championship in 1993. A lot of people remember that as the Chris Webber timeout game. Okay. Very, very famous. They still show it every year when the NCAA tournament starts. Yeah. Um, I was on the floor when he called that timeout. Right. So it was. Uh, what position we were, were you playing? Uh, I played both power forward and center. Oh wow! Okay. And um, it was just to this day, it's just it's it's amazing. And, but what it made it, it was great that we won it. it was, our our mantra for that year was we needed to win it for Coach Smith. Right. And. To this day, those guys, we see each other, it's like not a day went by. They're, they're brothers for, for life, so it's just phenomenal. Was it right out of there, out of North Carolina, that you got pulled into Sacramento Kings? I or? didn't. I didn't go straight to the NBA. Uh, the Lakers really liked me coming out of college, but I was yeah. really thin. Okay. I was 7 feet, 230 pounds. And this was the heyday of physical basketball in the NBA, playing against Shaq and Kim yeah, Olajuwon, yeah. David Robinson. You got to be like a Ewing. football player almost. I mean, yeah. and I, I would play power forward as well, so I'm going up against Charles Barkley and Carl Malone. These guys were just wow. monsters. So I went overseas, played some overseas, suffered an injury. Was that Italy? Italy. Okay, and, so and, Italy's where you, you had the injury. I did. I got poked in the eye detached right in Italy, and it's just, I'm Italian. My, my grandparents came from Italy. Oh, okay. I was really looking forward to it. I was over for six weeks, just... Don't know if you had any much time to spend no, in Italy. No. I've been all over Europe. Italy is by far my favorite. Really? Just, what part? Uh, I was in Tuscany for most of the time. Okay. Uh, I was in Genoa for some time, and then I was in a small town called Pavia right outside of Milan. So what has the best food? They're all just... Listen, when you sit down for lunch and dinner in Italy, they know how to do it. You, right. you sit down, you have a big salad, then they bring out a big bowl of pasta. And I remember the first meal I went, oh, that was a pretty good meal. I liked that. That was good. And then they bring out the main course, which is going to be a chicken, a fish, or a steak, and sides, and everything like that. And I'm like, this is why I like to eat like this, because <laughs> these are my people. <laughs> so That's great. It was fantastic. So that wasn't the, the main injury that you got, though, right? It was that, was, that was a curse and a blessing. I got you. Uh, because I, I trained so much. I worked out so much. I was strong, but I just couldn't put weight on. High metabolism, always active. So when I got injured, I couldn't work out. I couldn't run. Uh, I couldn't train. So I went from 230 to 260 within like six months. Okay. And then I had to convert that over into quality weight. And I went to a year in the minor leagues. What kind of crazy stuff went on? But in the long run, I ended up with Sacramento, which was was a good thing. Sacramento was – I got some really good teammates, good friends from there. One of the most awkward things was was I played with Bobby Hurley, who was at Duke when I was at Carolina, which is a huge, <laughs> Rival. huge rivalry. Yeah. And um, yeah. uh, first day in practice, walked in the locker room. There was one person there, and it was Bobby, and I used to yell at him on the court because he whined a lot. <laughs> so it was very awkward that first day, but then we became very, very good friends. Bobby's great people and really, really good friend. So what ended your basketball career then? Well, I, I, I uh, finished up my second year in Sacramento, and they were moving in a different direction. And uh, my first year head coach in Sacramento became the, the uh, general manager for the Golden State Warriors, and he loved me. And he wanted me to go over there and play. And they put a nice 
very large contract on the table for me to sign with them. And the signing period was in mid-July. Uh, yeah. End of June, training in Philadelphia. Hurt my back. Didn't understand the, to the extent of it. Yeah. Um, but when I went out to the camp, and I played very, very well for, at the camp, and right before the signing period came about, I learned the hard way. Somebody hit me in the back. And the pain ran down my leg. My sciatic nerve got involved. I couldn't move, and that, wow. all, that all dried up. And I'm stubborn. I sat out for a year, came back, went over to China, went to Belgium. Um, had a chance to play in Germany and one more year after that, but it, was just, it wasn't fun anymore. Right. I couldn't compete at the level I wanted to. I couldn't compete the way I used to. Yeah. So I decided to walk away from the game, and I was uh, pretty bitter, pretty upset at the time. It was not... I never wanted to go out on the, the way that I wanted to go out. I wanted to go out on my own terms, and I couldn't do that. So from there, you transitioned into doing sales? I did. I did. I, I, I was, I honestly, I was kind of confused what I was going to do because right. the end of my basketball career came on a couple of years before I anticipated it. And if I had signed that contract, my goal was take care of my money, work with a financial advisor, make sure I'm set up for life, and be a high school coach. Gotcha. I played for one of the best coaches ever, and he taught me a lot, and I love still teaching that. So I still, I still volunteer, but kind of looked around, and I went, well, a lot of athletes, they get into sales. Yeah, yeah. And it's competitive, and it's just, listen, being seven feet tall and being used to being in the spotlight, being able to talk to people about anything and everything, just it, it just was a natural transition for me. So I got into sales with 3M and I got into pharmaceutical sales and um, became bored with it. And you did pharmaceuticals for what, like five, six years? About six years, yeah. yes. And and um, great job, good paying job. But Going actually go, to the practices? I, go, I would go to yeah. doctors. I would, I would go to doctors. And uh, the whole thing with that was establishing a good relationship with them. And that's one thing I've always yeah. been very good at. But one of the things I think that really separated me early on, I remember one of my coworkers kind of followed up behind me and I had a lunch with a doctor and she tried to drill me and tried to trick me and try to get me to do a lot of different things. And I said, listen, I, I answer everything honestly. And if I didn't know the answer, I'll let you know. I'll get back to you. Yeah. And for them, that just kind of blew them away because most people in that business, they, they just go, they kind of make something make it up, up and <laughs> make it look really good. And, yeah, and, and yeah. the thing was, I will always follow up. So I built that relationship very, very quickly and very, very well. So I launched five drugs in six years. And so when I would come in and talk about a new drug, they knew what I was saying was true. They knew it was something I really, truly believed in. Yeah. And um, so I always launched very well. I always did very, very well. But after about six years in, I got bored. Right. I, did. I, got, I got bored, yeah. and it kind of coincided. As I was getting bored and trying to figure out, do I want to do something else? A large company came in and bought my company. Okay. Made the first bunch of cuts because it was on performance, and the last cut was, how much money do you make? Uh, and when you're a higher earner, yep. they kind of let you go. So that was fine. And uh, going through some other life changes, let's change some things up. I wanted, I was living in Charlotte at the time, and I wanted to make some changes. So uh, made some life changes, moved to Atlanta, and made a career change and went into financial advising as well. So how long did it take you to transition? Like, you know, you had to, I get, you had to get your licenses and yes. everything. Yes. And that, I tell people that when I had to study for those licenses, I studied in college. I did what I had to do. I could have been a better student. I could have been a worse student. Right. When it came to those licenses, I, mean, I took those things as serious as could be. And I mean, it was 11, 12 hours a day, six days a week, if not yeah. more. And I think there's a very small group of people that can pass them on the first try. And yeah. I passed every one of them on my first try. I was very serious, very dedicated. And I hate to say it, but I was very proud of myself. Yeah. I mean, I hadn't studied since college and I'd been 15, no, 20 years. 
right. plus um, that I hadn't actually had to study other than some work stuff. So, so did you start out? Were you doing any insurance at all, or was it all financial? It was, was it uh, series I, six, and uh, I, I, did, I, did, I, I, I signed up for insurance. Mm. Uh, I was working for a company, and we basically let's do investments. Uh, if, if your client needs insurance, here's a wholesaler you can introduce them and right. they'll take care of it for you. So I knew very, very little about it. And it kind of bothered me because I knew there was more I could do to help my clients. Yeah. And there was just so much other things. And I would go and talk to my uh, my mentor and some other people I, was, I, I, I went to for advice all the time. And I was like, well, my clients need this. They need that. Uh, what do we do? And he goes, well, we don't do that stuff. Yeah. So don't worry about it. And I'm like, well, that's not the answer I want. There's stories to this day of when I was a pharmaceutical rep of a new medication that I had a doctor try that literally the patient would come back to the doctor and say, you have changed my life. One guy came back and hugged the doctor and said, thank you, you gave me back my wife. Right. I will, on my deathbed, I'll remember those things. And I enjoy that. That's a big part of, I need to feel like I'm doing something. Transformation of some sort. Yes, sort of and yeah. really, really be able to help people out. And I wanted that, and I wasn't getting that. Um, so I wanted to make a transition, I wanted to make a change. And, and luckily, uh, the North Carolina Alumni Association in Atlanta is the largest in the country. Yeah. And I, luckily, playing basketball there, uh, very visible, got to know a lot of people, and I, one, one, one lady came up to me and goes, how, how you like what, what you're doing? I said, I'm looking. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking. I want to change. I want to be able to do, do more. And they so were, you were kind of locked into their, their products. I, I had to be. Yeah. I, I had yeah. to be, and I had to be locked into their process, which yeah. I didn't think their process truly helped out the clients. So luckily, uh, my friend introduced me to Face Ikes. Okay, and that's how I got got on board with Scarlet Oak, and it's been fantastic. I, I you know I've been in the business for a couple of years before I met Faye, and yeah. I think I learned a lot. And then when I got to meet her and started learning about how she does things, I learned about how much I didn't know. And um, in that period of time, it's we're, we're creeping up on a year now. And yeah. in that period of time, I, I just feel like I'm I'm so much more dangerous for my clients. I can just <laughs> do so much more, and I can help them in so many different ways. And and that. That helps me go home at night and go, you know, I did some good today. And I, and I, and I really enjoy that. So with uh, Scarlet Oak, what are some of the things that differentiate that firm from, say, an Edward Jones or something like that? We're fiduciaries, which is the way I've always tried to do my business, regardless of what it was. But now I actually had that title, so I got to do what's best for my client. Yeah. But that's the way I always did things. But we're holistic. Uh, I'm going to look at their entire life. Uh, what's coming in, what's going out, what do you have? Uh, looking at different things like auto insurance, homeowners insurance, do you have an umbrella insurance? Uh, looking at their trusts and wills and beneficiaries and, and then obviously looking at their investments and figuring out what's best for them and going forward from there. But uh, we're, we're looking at everything that we can, things that I'm not going to be able to do to help them, but go, hey, listen, if you have a home and auto person, maybe you want to go talk to them about this or, right. you know, let's talk to your CPA. Maybe there's different ways we can help you out. There's suggestions that can help that are going to really help strengthen their financial situation, help strengthen just their lives in general. And um, I like that. I like that. And I've had multiple people since I've been working with them that they've had a couple of different financial advisors. And when we're done, they go, you know, I've never felt so secure. That's great. And I love that feeling. 
So when you're working with a client, are they generally coming in just initially like I need to convert a 401k or something like that or just something there, there, There's a multiple dif- dif- different reasons why people could come in. Some people are just getting started. Some people do want to convert their 401k. Some people are getting closer to retirement right. and they know they need to make some changes. Some people just come in and go, hey, listen, I haven't talked to my financial advisor in forever. Yeah. And I want somebody that I can work with that I know. Can, and, and the thing I really, really enjoy about what we do as well is we educate our clients. Yeah. An educated client is going to make better decisions for themselves. And that's something we didn't do in the past with my other company. And I like that. So we come in, really educate them, make things really simple for them, and um, make them feel comfortable with everything that we're doing. And that's, that's, that's a big goal. You've been in the industry for a while now, but with uh, Scarlett Oak, you kind of had to start over, I guess, with your client base. Very much so. Yeah. Uh, very much so. Because when I left my company, they were like, oh, yeah, by the way, you can't, have a, can't take you know, anything with you. You can't take anything <laughs> with you. That's all of ours. Yep. So it was. And it was... Um, it was eye-opening, yeah, uh, yeah. having to start from scratch all over again. And it was, I mean, now that I, I go from a company where I did have a base salary, yeah, which was nice to have, to I don't have one. Right. But I think the upside's a lot better for me, but also at the same time, I, I'm doing something that I really enjoy. Right. And that, that meant a lot more to me than anything else. So it was a slow beginning. Yeah. And um, it was really just getting out there as much. And, and at the same time, I've only been a native of Atlanta for a short period of time. So I'm right. really kind of branching out, meeting new people. And when I first started with Scarlet Oak, I was living up in Alpharetta. Because uh, okay. my, my uh, office was in Roswell. So, yeah, that's a bit. So that was a little bit further away, and I wanted to. Uh, some of my really good friends live in the city. I wanted to move down here. You know, Scarlet Oak is in the city. Yeah. Um, so I had to kind of almost reestablish myself as well. I mean, I can obviously work with people up in Alpharetta, yeah. Roswell, all around the Atlanta area, but really wanted to commit myself to growing that area on top of everything else. And that's, yeah, it was daunting. So what are you finding is working for you best as far as like business development? Getting to know the right people and really networking with some good people that I know I can trust. They know they can trust me. They know we're going to really work well together. And they're, they're introducing me to, to their clients. I'm introducing them to my clients. I'm just really getting out there and, and just meeting as many people as possible. Now, on top of that, Faye knows everybody in Atlanta. Right, right. So that kind of helps. That yeah, kind of so helps. Might, she'll make the connection. So, but we, I do a couple of networking groups. And on top of that, I talked about North Carolina having a very large alumni group here. Yeah. And um, that's been, been very beneficial to me because some of them need help and some of them know people that need help so just right. listen it is it is long hours working hard getting in front of many as many people as possible and listen i love the great thing about this is i'm meeting all different kinds of people all different ages all different yeah. backgrounds all different desires and dreams that they want to do and that it makes every day different and i like that i cannot have monotony is there a particular type of client that you tend to do best with younger older uh Probably say I have younger to people in their 40s and 50s are probably like yeah. a great spot to be. The younger people, what we tend to do is uh, really set up a budget yeah, and really get them set up and try to, a lot of, you know, we got a lot of people with student debt and credit card debt yeah. and all those types of things. And what we want to do is get them in a healthy situation. I don't want to invest anything until they're ready for it, until right. they're situated properly that they can take care of everything that they have, get rid of a lot of that bad debt. Um, make sure that they're able to live in case whatever happens with them, whether they need emergency fund money or whatever, and then we'll start investing for them. And then the, you get to 30s and 40s and some 50s, but 
people that are starting families or have a family, you know, kids going a, to school. Yeah, there's a lot yeah. of li- there's a lot of different life changes that, that that seem to really work well, and that's having kids, getting married, buying a house, mm-hmm. um, kids going away, and yeah. maybe downsizing. Those are things that uh, I see a lot of that that where I can really help them out. Now, are you finding like the restrictions in your industry are pretty? pretty serious as far as like advertising and stuff like that with facebook and stuff like that are you getting to use any of social medias very much so very much so but luckily we have somebody on board that really helps us with that that kind of keeps it um because if i tried to do it myself i'd probably be tripping all over myself (laughs) right right. Uh, but but yes we do use facebook i have a facebook page set just for my business and then i have a personal page that is linked to that i have my linkedin account Um, we try to do a lot of a lot of different uh, marketing materials for that aspect as well. And um, thank God we do have somebody, and she's fantastic. Yeah. She really helps build some some great stuff to send out and um, really speaks to she, – she really tailor-makes it for myself. She tailor-makes it for, for Faye and her clientele and my clientele are kind of separate. Yeah, and yeah. What, who we kind of go after, and and um, is that – do you guys talk about that? Is that strategic? Yeah. Very much so. Okay. Very much so. And I am so busy – which I love. Yeah, that it's great to have somebody else that can that is really knowledgeable, really good at what she does, yeah. knows what I, I I want, and we we talk about that. We set a game plan together. And we just this past week we we sat down as a whole team and really went over everything, and I was pretty blown away with everything that she put together. That's great. Are you finding that you're getting actual leads from those social media contacts, or is it more like supportive of people who have been checking you out and they're thinking about it? And probably some of the leads are starting to come in. Yeah. That that is, I, I think something like that takes a while to really develop and cultivate, and, yeah. and cultivate exactly. Um, but it's starting to come in. But the nice thing is when people do go and check you out, yeah, you have something out there. You have a footprint out there that they can see, yeah. and and that helps a lot. Yeah, yeah. Otherwise, you're a ghost. And, yeah, well, yeah. They're going to look online and, and listen. Every, I mean, no matter what I do, I check it out online if it's something for myself personally. Yeah. And so if, if somebody doesn't have any type of footprint online, yeah. it's going to make you second guess. And then if you come across somebody who has a huge footprint that they got a lot of stuff out there, you're going to probably go, I think I look more like an expert or that person, whatever. And people are going to tend towards that. So it's, it's important to have. Other than the Alumni Association, I mean, are there any other sports-oriented kind of networks that you can cultivate? Well, we are working on on a sports entertainment group, okay, uh, Sports and Productions. Uh, okay. We started putting that together. It's Faye and myself. Uh, we have a couple of uh, CPAs that are, are now currently working with some athletes. So you would actually go directly towards athletes. We are we are yeah. uh, we are working towards that. And then we have a couple of um, um, sports attorneys on top of that. So what we're trying to yeah. do is we're trying to bundle all that together so that we can work with somebody. The, the, the problem with that, and I still have a lot of connections and basketball coaches and, yeah. and some players that are out there, but mostly the coaches and some agents. The problem with that is that is a very difficult industry. Even though I got a background in it, it's a very difficult industry to get into. It's it's And it should be yeah, because people prey upon an industry yep. because there's so much money Big tickets. And, and a lot yeah. of people, I mean, one of the most disturbing things when I was in the NBA is the millions and millions of dollars that my teammates were throwing away. Yeah. and um, Just poor decisions or was it people preying on them? Poor, a lot of poor decisions. There, there's a, there's a, um, a, what I like to call either, like, either God complex or an invincibility complex that right. you have to have on the field, the court, whatever you're doing um, to go out there and go, I'm the best. This is, going, this is going to go on forever. <laughs> I can't be touched. <laughs> right. But that's just that should just be encompassed with the sports aspect of it. Right. But it bleeds into the rest of their lives. Yeah, yeah. And that's where the problem comes in. I mean, we I lived in Sacramento, and Reno was an hour and a half away. 
And I don't know how many of my teammates every day, we had a day off, they would go and gamble and I'd lose $15,000, $20,000 on a pop. Um, on our on our jet, we had a private jet everywhere we flew, which cracks me up because people go, oh, going on a road trip as a, as a professional athlete is so exhausting. Well, you get a private jet, you stay in the best hotels and you get the best food. I don't know why. Right. <laughs> no, why were you complaining? I was never exhausted. <laughs> but at the very back of the plane, there was a table. You need $20,000 to, to just get into the game. Oh, wow. And they, they approached me multiple times. Come on back. Come on back. You just need to get your money. And I'm like, I'm going to sit up front. I had my book. I thought it was really, really cool because it's in the late, mid to late 90s. I had my portable DVD player, which nobody had back then. And I thought that was really awesome. And that's how I passed my time instead of gambling. Well, like what that. was different about your upbringing or whatever that made you make that decision? I mean, um, how did you not fall into that same trap? My parents helped out with that, um, obviously. But when I went to Carolina, throughout the year, Coach Smith had education um, for multiple different things. And then some of it was personal going out there and you're going to be in the public spotlight. People are going to try to try to rile you up and try to cause you to do something stupid. So yeah, how yeah. to handle things like that. He always brought in people to talk about financial stuff. Uh, you know, there, there, he was very, very – Coach Smith, great, great coach. But what he did differently was he made sure he took care of us. Right. And we were prepared when we walked out more so than most people. So that I knew that I, I had a goal. I, had, I wanted to play basketball for as long as I could make as much money as I could. And we talked about it earlier. I wanted to be a high school coach. Right. Uh, when, I, when I hurt my eye uh, playing basketball in Italy, I came back, I went back to Pittsburgh, and I was only allowed to go and just shoot at my old high school. They had a new basketball coach. They knew who I was. Hey, can you help me out? Love to. One of the most rewarding jobs, I, and I just did it as a volunteer, one of the most rewarding jobs, just coaching these kids and teaching these kids the things I learned from one of the best basketball minds ever. And that's what I wanted to do. And I had that goal in mind. And that's what I was striving for. Obviously, it didn't work out. But, you know, you have that in mind. You work towards it. And you make sure you take care of the things you're supposed to take care of. Well, other than the uh, athletic sports kind of thing, or is there anything else that you're looking forward to in 2020? That uh, No, I mean, I'm just, I'm really, I'm, the more I'm doing this, the more I have underneath me. Um, it's, it's kind of funny because somebody asked me this morning at one of my networking groups, you know, when you do this or when you do that, how do you pick what you do? And I said, you know, in the past couple of years, I've learned a lot more. And I become more comfortable with what I do, but I also know what I don't know. Yeah. And I use my resources to a massive extent as much as I can. And I'm looking forward to just keep learning and keep getting better and get, being able to keep helping the people that I work with more and more. And that's, that's the strive is to become as powerful as I can at what I do to help most people I can. Kevin, thank you so much for being on. Well, thank you so much for having me. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you haven't already, please subscribe to us on your favorite podcasting network, be that Google Play, Spotify, Apple Podcast, or Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And also check out our YouTube channel. If you go to our website, websuasion.com, W-E-B-S-U-A-S-I-O-N dot C-O-M. At the very top of our website, you'll see a lot of social media links. Third from the right is YouTube. Click on that, click on the subscribe button and the bell icon, and we'll inform you every time we post a new video. We post about 10 to 12 a week. They're excerpts from the interview portion of our podcast, and they're great to share to your prospects over social media for your own content feed. Next week on the show, we have Mike Dingler of Firehouse Pressure Washing and Firetrack. He's going to tell us about how he built his pressure washing team of firefighters and the new app he's got coming up this year that will make firefighters accessible to the general public for odd jobs. 
We hope you'll join us, and until then, have a productive work week. Bye.